This is the Life Vows session, Teisho 5, January 2009. This is from a, uh, a book called Living on Purpose. The lives of people who have an obvious calling or mission in life are fascinating. They're read about, talked about, and sometimes used as a model for living a life that matters. Their life lives pose the question of why they were chosen and how they recognize their calling, their vow. You may wonder how they lived, that they received a calling. Was it as simple as a dedication to a service or a cause? Was it as complex as living their life without making mistakes? Were they tested and tempted, resulting in a passing grade? Or did they ultimately decide that they were called, that they had a purpose? Think about yourself and how to live your life. Would you love to have a mission for your life, but are not sure if you deserve one? Maybe you believe your life is filled with content that prevents you from modeling yourself after someone with a calling. If you take a position that determines you are not worthy of a calling, more likely you will be unable to recognize a calling. Consider this for a moment. You know that a vow of purpose in life is not something that you win in a drawing. A vow is not something that arrives with marching bands, nor is it something that you inherit from a will, and it is not something that you get from passing a test. Still, everyone is called to a mission in life. You've had many opportunities that would lead you to a great work in your life. The question you must ask yourself is, where where were you? Were you there when the opportunity presented itself? It requires that you be present in your life, making decisions that are fundamentally about you. It requires that you listen to yourself, hearing what you want and need to support your life in a way that inspires you, that you live in a way that empowers you to do those things that creates opportunities for you to give of yourself. When you give of yourself, you have heard your calling. You're on your mission. Your mission is about you, your growth, your willingness to participate in life. Are you ready to take the next step toward having more influence? Can you recognize that there is a step waiting for you to take? Are you ready to become a model for somebody else? Everyone has purpose in life. Everyone has a vow inherent, a vow is inherent in them. And as this little reading is a, has a psychological slant to it, but as this little reading says, we have to be present. We have to pay attention. We have to know ourselves. And while we can be inspired by other people, what they can most inspire us for is to discover the qualities that we like in them, in ourselves. We talk about formulating a vow. It's not about, let's, I will make a vow. But it really is a whole series of, how am I going to live my life? In some Christian traditions, they call it a rule of life. What are the intentions for my life? And our lives are rich enough and have enough breadth that it's hard to make a meaningful vow that can actually be walked if we just have one sentence. A vow to become awakened for the sake of all beings, the the fundamental bodhisattva vow, still has to have its expression. It has to have vows that we are going to, to do. It has to have a path that we walk. 
These are Tori Zenji's vows. Tori Zenji, as probably most of you know, is a, a great Zen master. Uh, he was a disciple of Hakuin Zenji, the famous Zen master in the late 1600s, early 1700s in Japan. First, I vow not to give up on my spiritual quest. A simple vow like that, we could all take that vow. I vow not to give up on my spiritual quest. I vow not to go wandering off and to forget about what's really important to me. I vow not to waver in my faith in the Dharma. The Dharma means truth. The Dharma means teachings that we can observe directly for ourselves. So this vow not to waver from faith in the Dharma means I will not waver from what I know to be true. For example, we have all had direct experience that living ethically has benefit. Living ethically has has a freedom from suffering. We know that's true. And the vow to not waver in our faith with what we know to be true is the second vow. Third, I vow to continue even if I encounter miserable states. Everybody encounters miserable states. And if we have a vow, if we have a deep intention, and we can make that vow when we're feeling most miserable, at our very lowest, then it has some real power. If we're really hurting and we're really discouraged and we're really feeling like everything has been, uh, we've been defeated and everything is going against us, if at that point we can make the vow, if at that point we can rouse ourselves and say, yes, I will continue on this path. Yes, I vow to complete this path. Yes, I vow to become awakened. Yes, I vow to become a fully ordained person. Yes, I vow to be the best parent I can be. Yes, I vow to complete my education. Yes, I vow to found the monastery or vow vow to found the downtown center. Then the power is equivalent in a way to the misery that we're feeling. When we make a vow when we're feeling really good and light and happy, it's easy to make vows, easy to have, say nice things. Easy come, easy go. But we don't say things frivolously when we're really hurting. His fourth vow, I vow to help others. Fifth, I vow to penetrate all the koans. That means all the life questions, all the life questions I meet. I vow to really understand my life and the challenges of this life. Sixth, I vow to give up my obsession with the body. Seventh, I vow to refine my functioning in accord with truth. I vow to refine my functioning in accord with truth is, is upaya. I vow to become more skillful. You know, all of us are, are, have areas of some skill, but areas of many more areas of less skill. So really become vow, to, to vow to become more skillful in how we interact with people how we teach, how we do whatever we're called to do. I vow to always cultivate a generous heart. I vow not to become self-centered. I vow to pass on any understanding I have. The last one is particularly important because it is so hard to walk a path of wisdom and to keep that path open for other people, to pass on any little insights that we have gained to the next generation. Benefits many more people than ourselves and many more people than just the ones we pass it on to.
A vow is not a thing. A vow that we're talking about here is an intention. It's a direction. So we're talk, not talking about, I will be a Buddha today. We're not talking about, I will be skillful in all my dealings with people today. We're not talking about, I will be an educated, kind, and honest person today. The intention is, I will evolve, I will develop, I will mature, I will walk the path, I will cultivate these things. In China, they call practitioners, not practitioners, but cultivators. They're cultivating the mind of wisdom and the heart of compassion. It's like a farmer cultivates crops. So when we look at our vow in that way as an evolutionary step, it can be enormous. It can be very big. It can be gigantic because we're evolving towards it. It can be something that's far beyond what we can imagine even our little life right now embodying. And in Buddha Dharma and in Buddhism, you know, the, the, this, this I that we all are so fond of, this I that we all, that is so inherently a part of all of us, this sensation of I am, that sensation of I am has been there throughout our whole life. That sensation of I am has been there. And even though our bodies have changed, our minds have changed, our emotions have changed, this sensation of I am has been there. And it's in all probability this sensation of I am will just continue and continue and continue, even as the body changes, even as the mind changes, even as the emotions change. So to make a big vow, to make a vow that even goes beyond what we can see in this life, isn't so far-fetched. We've made a vow when we were teenagers that teenager who made that vow is not around in any way, shape, form, or fashion. We don't think the same. We don't look the same. We don't live the same place. We don't know the same friends. We don't have the same actions. And yet, a vow that they made back in those days, if it was a genuine vow and we walked that path, even now we're the inheritors of it. So the vow does not need to take into account of, I am a, you know, I have 10 more years of life to live and everything I vow has got to be accomplished in that 10 years. If you want to be the President of the United States, you know, make the vow. So we're growing a human being. We're growing our human being. So you can consider this in the same way that, uh, you know, a young person, I mean, a young person might make a vow, but they really don't understand what the vow means. We never understand what something is until we actually have it and have experienced it. They don't know what's going to be required. They don't know what they'll, what they'll feel about it once they actually have it, once they've completed it. And of course, any time that we make a vow, any time we say we're going to do something, we don't really know what that's going to involve, how it's going to look. Of course, we're scared, we're nervous, we're un- unclear. And yet, If being unclear, being unsure, if not really knowing how it's going to unfold, even if not knowing the obstacles that we're going to encounter, if we do make a vow, make a series of vows, make make a profess our deep hearts. Profess. Make a vow to finish school, to have a family, to... Join the Peace Corps or the AmeriCorps. Make a vow to become ordained. 
Will they turn out the way we think? Of course not. Will we learn from whatever we vow? Even if we completely do it in the wrong way? Even if it's a total mess from beginning to end? Of course we'll learn from it. Will whatever we do lead to the next thing? Of course it will lead to the next thing. Will we become older and wiser? Hopefully, if we pay and paying attention, even the biggest mistake is often the best learning, learning experience. So, encourage everyone to, to make and to think about some really large vows. We've all taken the ten precepts. Not to kill, but to cherish all life. Not to lie, but to speak the truth. Not to misuse alcohol and drugs. Not to misuse sexuality. Not to steal, but to respect the things of others. Not to uh, gossip, but to um, be honest and straightforward. Not to praise ourselves by criticizing others. Not to be stingy, but to be generous. Not to be angry, but to look into its source. And of course, not to disparage or revile the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. We've all taken those vows one way or another. We all, in this session, have taken the four bodhisattva vows. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. So how do we live those vows? How do we, we take these vows, and, and even if we take them not quite knowing what they mean, even if we take them not completely wholeheartedly within ourselves, even if we take them half-blind and half-dumb, Nonetheless, the very fact that we have said these things, we've, we've heard ourselves saying these things, we've heard ourselves, and it has an effect. But how do we live any vow, any intention? First off, the Buddha is very clear. We have to have good company. We have to have noble friends. We have to have virtuous people that are around us. Because if we have a vow to not steal, but to respect the things of others, and we're hanging around with criminals, it's really hard to keep that vow. Secondly, we have to be really open to learning. We have to be open to feedback. If we have a vow that says, I want to penetrate the Dharma gates, we have to understand what Dharma gates are. We have to learn about the different ways the different skillful ways of working with suffering. We have to renew our vows. We can't just say them once and then say, got that out of the way. We have to renew our vows. We have to remind ourselves of our vows over and over again. And I'm, I'm considering that maybe here in the morning that we take a few minutes at the beginning of, every, uh, at the beginning of morning service to really quietly say our vows. Some people do that already, but have a formal moment that we do that. Because to set one's intention, to set one's intention over and over again, we're much more likely to to continue and to follow that intention. If we just say it once a year, it's a little harder to walk that path. And fourth, we have to examine our life. We have to review our life. I have a Raksu that uh, Radha Roshi wrote in the back of it and it said something like, to review one's life is the highest form of awakening. To really examine one's life. 
Are we in accord with our vow? And next, the hardest part of vows is renunciation. Because if we decide we're going to go right, that means we're not going left. If we're going to climb some stairs, we're not descending the stairs. If we make a vow, that means there's some things that we can't do. There's some things we have to let go of. We have to let go of those things that interfere with our vows. If we become a student and vow to finish school, if we become a parent and vow to raise a child, if we become a teacher and vow to do the activities of a teacher, there are some things we just can't do. And we have to be willing, depending upon the quality of student, parent, or teacher we want to become, we have to be willing to let go of things that interfere with our primary vow. All those things require our mind being clear. And so if we're using drugs or alcohol, trying to be a student and trying to be a parent and trying to be a teacher, it clouds and muddies our intention. We vow not to kill but to cherish all life. And we're serious about that. We have to really look at the issue of vegetarianism. You know, the vow is completely up to us. We can do whatever we want. But if we really vow not to kill but to cherish all life, We have to consider the animals that we eat. We vow any large, any important task. Someone has a vow, someone has a task to open up a new business. They say when you're doing studies about if you open up a new business, the first two or three years take 60 to 80 hours a week of just work. And of course, in order to do that, you have to renounce a lot of entertainment, a lot of extra spending. Can't go to the movies. You want to do zazen and you want to practice the spiritual path. There's some things you can't do. If you live here in the monastery, there are things you don't do because you have to follow the schedule. We have to renounce, we have to let go of things that are not in accord with our vow. And it is our choice. It's our choice. But the deeper we make a vow, the more serious we are about it, the more we've investigated and looked inside ourselves, then the easier it comes to join with others to walk our path. So what are your particular vows? What do you need to relinquish? What's extra in your life? What's the most time-wasting activities? These are the, uh, one of the Vajrayana Bodhisattva vows. And these are things that are so the, the primary vow is bodhicitta, the, the, the vow to awaken for the sake of all beings. And then here are the, some secondary vows. Um, they're called major downfalls. I vow not to, to fall down in these ways. Uh, I vow not to steal offerings from the triple treasure, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, through any means whatsoever. I vow not to give up or abandon the Dharma. I vow not to take away the robes to beat imprisoned force to, or to, leave, to force somebody to leave the Sangha or to kill monks, even if they've broken their own vows. I vow not to commit any of the five heinous crimes, killing father, killing one's mother, killing an arhat, drawing the blood of a Buddha, or creating schisms in the community. I vow not to hold wrong views, such as those that are contrary to the teaching of the Buddha, for example, the law of cause and effect. Or whatever we feel is is from our own direct experience, our right views. 
I vow not to destroy villages, countries, through any means whatsoever. This is an interesting one. I vow not to teach the doctrine of emptiness, shunyata, to those who are not previously trained. That is, people who are not mature enough to understand it. It's an interesting vow we have to think about. I vow not to turn the followers of the path of full enlightenment away from the path and to make them think about, oh, they're just their own individual liberation instead of the practice and the, gener- the, the practice of liberating all beings and the practice of generosity and the outflow of their practice. I vow not to dissuade them from that big view. I vow not to place followers of smaller paths or other traditions or other religions. I vow not to, to disparage them or to, to shake their faith. Because to have faith and to genuinely, sincerely have faith and to genuinely, sincerely be walking our particular path and to genuinely, sincerely have made vows that are wholesome, even though we may not particularly agree with them, may not understand them. Nonetheless, the very fact that people have professed their faith in that way inevitably, sooner or later, leads to benefit. I vow not to have the desire to tell others that it's okay to have desires. I vow not to praise myself by criticizing others. And actually, the, the, the particular Vajrayana part of that, that's, that's what we say, not to praise myself by criticizing others. But the Vajrayana uh, vow goes, for the purpose of obtaining wealth and respect, Praise, criticize others for the purpose of obtaining wealth or respect. Put other teachers down or other practitioners down or other religions down so that we'll encourage people to stay with us. I vow not to tell others that one has attained enlightenment or has seen emptiness when one has not already experienced such. I vow not to punish monks or take away a monk's belongings or receive the belongings taken away from monks. That's the vow not to steal, but to respect the things of others. And I vow not to turn away from the Dharma, or to destroy the meditation of people who are practicing, or to steal the the belongings of people who are practicing. There's a particular Vajrayana set of, of guidelines, of renunciations, things to renounce in order to achieve the, the goal of full enlightenment. And of course, when we take the ten precepts, we, do we have inherent in them a number of re- things that we renounce. But as you know, vow is not a matter of, of renunciation. It's not a matter of just renouncing things. It's really a matter of what do we do? What is the most important in putting first things first? Here's what um, Stephen Covey says in... Uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, about the, the taking a vow for, with one's own will, to step forward and to, with one's own will, to make a vow. In addition to self-awareness, imagination, and conscience, it is the fourth human endowment of independent will that really makes effective self-management possible. It's the ability to make decisions and choices and to act in accordance with them. 
is the ability to act rather than to be acted upon, to proactively carry out the programs we have developed through the other three endowments. The human will is an amazing thing. Time after time it has triumphed against unbelievable odds. The Helen Kellers of this world give dramatic evidence to the value and the power of independent will. But as we examine this endowment in the, in the context of effective self-management, that is managing our own mind, our own life, our own emotions, we realize it's usually not the dramatic, the visible, the once-in-a-lifetime, the up-by-the-bootstraps effort that begins, that brings enduring success. Empowerment comes from learning how to use this great endowment in the decisions we make every day. So we make these vows, and I encourage everybody to really write down not just a vow, but a series of standards by which to live your life, a series of rules by which to live your life. And when we have these, these vows, these guidelines, these purposes, then to look at how are we living our life throughout the day. What are we doing with our life throughout the day? What choices are we making? What are we buying? Where are we going? Little by little, step by step, to make these vows alive, to walk them. These are Samantabhadra's vows. This is taken from the Avatamsaka Sutra. Those wishing to achieve these merits and virtues, that is the merits and virtues of full awakening, should cultivate ten vast and great vows. What are these ten? To pay homage and respect all Buddhas. And of course, who are all Buddhas? All Buddhas are all beings. So to have pay homage and respect all beings. Second, to praise all the Buddhas. And this means we may honor, honor and respect even people who are blind and ignorant, but we really praise those people who are exemplary, those people who are outstanding, the Buddhas who are um, inspiring. Three, make abundant offerings. It is to give. As, we, as you all know, the first paramita, the first perfection, the first practice of perfection, the Mahayana school, is dana, is the practice of generosity. And the Buddha says that if you practice one thing and one thing only, the practice of generosity is the one practice to do. Because generosity is the antithesis of selfishness. Generosity benefits all beings. Generosity is, uh, works against clinging and self-satisfaction, etc. Fourth, repent misdeeds and evil actions. Fifth, Vow to rejoice in others' merits and virtues. You know, the, the, the four divine abidings, the four, one of the four divine abidings is sympathetic joy. To be really joyful at other people's joy, to be appreciative of other people's success and supportive of other people's accomplishments. Sixth, to request the Buddhas to teach. So, a vow to to really want to learn, because how do we request somebody to teach? We want to learn. If we don't want to learn, what good does teaching do? So it's not a matter of you know, going forth and saying, oh, teach me, teach me. But it's really a matter of saying, I really want to learn. I really want to learn. And if we want to learn, then teaching comes forth. We pull teachings towards us by what's going on inside of ourselves. Seventh, to request that the Buddhas remain in the world. That is, that 
in this particular case of, of Buddhism, that the lineage remain in the world, that the teachings get passed on and passed on, that it not just be something that I practice and I get the benefits of, but that somehow that, that teaching and practice remains in the world and Buddha after Buddha after Buddha comes alive. Eighth, to follow the teachings of the Buddhas at all times. Ninth, to accommodate and benefit all living beings. And tenth, to transfer all merits and virtues universally. Accommodate and benefit all living beings. Well, in a way, what that means, the ninth, the ninth vow of Samatha Bahadra, is that beings are, come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. They come from eggs, and they come from mammals, and they come from you know, symbi- or mitosis. Um, they come from lots of different ways. And there are material and immaterial beings. And, and to make a world that is acknowledges and that is big enough to accommodate all these different kinds of beings. We might, in this world, we might call it a sustainable life, a life that sustains the planet and sustains the beings that live upon the planet. To, to live uh, and to accommodate our life in such a way that it will embrace and leave room for all kinds of beings is one of the Samantabhadra's vows. Samantabhadra is the, traditionally the bodhisattva of action. You can see from these vows, you can see from the, the kind of things that Tori Zenji and the, 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 the sutras and other people say, <clears throat> that it's not just a matter of, of, I'll decide a couple of lines and I'll repeat a couple of lines, but to really flesh it out. And there's broad latitude for how you want to um, flesh out your particular vows. The painter Henry Moore has this quote, which I always like. The secret of life is to have a task, something that you devote your entire life to, something to bring everything to, every minute of the day of your whole life. And the important thing is it must be something you can't possibly complete. Such is a vow. The definition of vow is a solemn promise, a pledge, a personal commitment a solemn promise made to God, to any deity or to saint, to perform some act, to make some offering or gift, or to enter into some service or devotion, to resolve solemnly to do or give something, to dedicate or devote by a pledge. We're talking about dedicating and devoting our lives, and it's our choice what we decide we want to dedicate it to. Completely our choice. But... Everyone is encouraged to really, and through this whole retreat, to look very carefully at one's life, at what one's skills, at what one's been called to. When we make vows, when we stand up in front of a community and we say, I will vow not to kill but to cherish all life. I vow to, not to steal but to respect the things of others. I vow not to lie but to speak the truth. I vow not to misuse alcohol and drugs, but to keep the mind clear. I vow not to misuse sexuality, sexual energy, but to live a life of honesty and restraint. When we stand up in front of a community and make those vows, or we stand up in front of the community and make vows of the Jukai vows, or refuge vows, or we stand up and make vows of uh, becoming a priest, or the vows that happen when one has Dharma transmission, 
these vows, it's not just a matter of what happens at that time. It's as soon as we make a vow in front of somebody, as soon as we make a vow in front of the Buddhas, as soon as we make a vow to a community, that vow then has greater power. That vow then has greater consequences. So if someone stands up in front of the community and says, I will not lie to you, and tells everybody that, and then they lie, the reaction is going to be much greater than if nobody ever says anything. If someone stands up in front of the community and says, you can trust me, I will do my very best to be trustworthy, and then they betray that trust, the very fact that they stood up in the front of the community and made that vow, made that promise to people, will call a greater reactivity than if somebody didn't do that. So the same thing is true in a positive way. That if we stand forth and we in all sincerity and honesty make a vow to a community, to to people, there is a support that comes forth. There is a, a, an energy that comes forth to support, an energy that comes forth to help enable, an energy that comes forth to enliven our vow. This is the... This is from W.H. Murray, who was a member of the Scottish Himalayan Expedition back in the 40s, I think it was, that they were decided they were going to climb Mount Everest. And uh, so they went through all sorts of hassles and difficulties and things, trying to decide they were going to climb Mount Everest back then and the problems they had. And, but then at, at some point, um, he, said, he writes this, But when I said that nothing had been done, I erred in one important matter. We had already definitely committed ourselves. We're halfway out of our ruts. We'd put down our passage money, booking a sailing to Bombay. This may sound too simple, but it's a great inconsequence. Because until one is committed, there's hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, material assistance, which no man would have dreamt would have come his way. I learned deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. So please, as we're going to write these life vows down, as we're going to think about them, don't think small. Have a big view. Don't think this little particular personality that I have right now, but realize that the potential that you have within you is far bigger in this personality. It's far bigger. And so when we're, we're writing vows that are important to us, and we're going to ask everybody to really write down vows, we're writing them down, not only do you take the reflections that you've made this week, but you also have imagination 
aspiration, hope, has to be part of one's vow. And of course, if we take a vow, any any degree of vow, it has the ability to change the direction of our life. As many people have heard, you know, if you have a, a rifle and you're sighting down toward a target and you move it one degree where the bullet ends is significantly different than where it would have been if you hadn't moved it even one degree. And if you take a vow, even, even a light vow, and it moves your, your state of mind one degree, then over time, over time, that vow makes a difference. And if you make that vow and you move one degree this time and one degree this time and one degree this time 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 then over time you end up in a completely different place because of your vow. This is from Chosen's book. Jizo Bodhisattva has the ceremony we did this morning the Kasiti Garva ceremony is Jizo Bodhisattva's ceremony. Jizo Bodhisattva has vowed to cross all beings out of places of suffering. He's called the king of vows because he's promised to work unceasingly in the future, excuse me, in the time between the death of the last Buddha, Shakyamuni, and until the next Buddha appears in the world. Hearing about this great vow, we should ask, did I also have a vow? Vow means an affirmation that it's not limited or obscured by the details of the energetic movement of any one lifetime or anyone's lifetime, but it's able to act through them. It propels us forward on the path even if we become discouraged. The vow operates not only within our life, but through those beings and circumstances that flow towards us and challenge us. The Earth Store Bodhisattva Sutra tells of ordinary human beings becoming bodhisattvas through the power of their vows. My teachers talked talked often about the importance of making vows. It took me many years to understand that vows are at the core of practice, actually are the nuclear core of the energy pile that is our life. An interviewer once asked Mayazumi Roshi if Buddhists believed in something like a soul that continued after death. And Mayazumi Roshi said, no, it's the vow that continues. A vow is like a seal that imprints itself on the wet clay of another emerging life. But it's also more than a passive seal. It has a propelling energy. It propels us into the search for an end to suffering and into finding ways to help others. Finally, when all the various schemes we have developed to do these things fail, it propels us into practice. So an appropriate way of ending this talk is to recite the four bodhisattva vows.
unsurpassable. Ah.